I'm your host, Pauline. Welcome to TAW Real Chats, where life's insights are shared. As we're about to enter October being Breast Cancer Awareness Month today, TAW partners Pfizer to unravel the complex topic of breast cancer. Doing this with me today are three doctors specializing in breast cancer. We have Ms. Tio Meishi, a breast surgeon, Dr. Doris Chow, a radiation oncologist, and Dr. Kylie Lo, a breast subspecialist oncologist. Dr. Kylie, what do you actually do? Well, I treat patients with breast cancer with a range of drugs to give them the best chance of cure and survival. Uh, Dr. Doris Chow? Well, what I do is uh, we use different kinds of machines to treat patients with breast cancer. Dr. Tio Meishi, the breast surgeon. Well, uh, we remove the cancer from the breast or we remove the diseased breast from the body. Who will be the right doctor among the three of you to see first? Dr. Theo. Dr. Theo. <laughs> uh, so, we, so the woman should see the breast surgeon first. And what do you normally do for the patient? When I see them, I will ask them about their symptoms and signs that they encounter. And then after that, you know, like when did they first notice it? You know, are there any changes like any breast pain or nipple discharge or recent changes in the breast that they are concerned about? Mm. And whether there are any family history of breast cancer, their menstruation history and menopausal history, use of oral contraceptive mm. pills and um, hormone replacement therapy. Right. And what happens after that? Because I have a breast ultrasound in my clinic and automatically I will do an ultrasound scan there and that would more or less give me an idea what the problem is, whether it's likely to be benign or most likely to be malignant or how aggressive it is and then from there I will explain to them what I have seen and why I think that is suspicious or benign and then from there I will send them to do breast imaging like a mammogram and another ultrasound as well. From there if it's suspicious or if you otherwise then I will advise them that they need to do a core biopsy. What, what do you mean, Ms. Steele, when you say a core biopsy? What, what is a biopsy and what is core? A biopsy is just a general term that we are taking some tissue for diagnosis. So in this case, right. we are talking about the breast, it's the breast lump. Mm-hmm. Okay, we are taking the tissue or the meat part of the uh, lump mm-hmm. for diagnosis. There are several ways of doing it. So previously, excision biopsy is whereby we do a surgery to open up and uh, remove the whole lump. Mm-hmm. So that requires general anesthesia for you to go to sleep before we can do the open surgery. So that's the old this, way. Yes, that's the old way, right? What's the new way? And uh, what's the new way? is a, a core biopsy. A core mm-hmm. biopsy is basically we use a needle which is probably the size of um, the, the needle that they take the blood from your veins and then we will put the needle into the uh, lump and then after that, they will it has a special mechanism where you extract the tissue and mm. it is just a less than five minutes job for me it is done easily I would say 98% of the time it's painless unless the lump is very hard or it's very near uh, the nipple that's why mm-hmm. it's a bit more sensitive mm-hmm. and complications or side effects is very very minimal and then we can get the results you know within three to four working days as uh, Miss Teo was uh, going on about core biopsy I see Dr. Kylie you nod- you nodding along the way about you know, is there something you'd like to, to say yes. about I, I totally echo what Dr. Theo says. You don't need to have an operation to have a biopsy anymore nowadays. Okay, You just have a biopsy done in the clinic. And with right. that, you can get the diagnosis as well as the type of breast cancer. And that mm-hmm. can guide how we treat the patient, you see. I think there's actually a misconception um, uh, with regards to a biopsy that a lot of my patients, when we try to get them to see you know, people like a breast surgeon, like um, Ms. Theo, is they're worried that if 
you touch the lung, you're going to aggravate it or you're going to wake up a sleeping, um, a hornet's nest. So a lot of my mm. patients are worried and they're telling me that, you know, if this cancer has not spread, what if when you put in a needle, you're going to make it spread further? Or if initially it's a nice round thing and then once you put in a needle, it's going to start fungate out and start to grow more. So a lot of people are actually worried that just by doing a biopsy, we can actually make the cancer more aggressive. So I think it's very important that we let people know that if the cancer is aggressive, the biopsy will not make it more aggressive. If the cancer, if the tumor is benign, means it's not cancerous, a biopsy is not going to change it and make it into a cancer. So I, I think see. that's also something that, you know, a lot of our patients are worried about. Right, right. Assuming that the worst case scenario, right, biopsy comes out, it, it's cancer, the lung is cancerous. Um, what, what, what happens? There is no one-size-fit-all approach for these breast cancers. Mm -hmm. So we take into consideration the type, the initial stage of the breast cancer, as well as the wishes of the patient. What do you mean by wishes of the patient? So for example, some patients may want to choose what type of surgery they have. So they may want to keep their breasts or some women may prefer to remove the whole breast as part of the operation itself. As a start, we know surgery is necessary for all patients with breast cancer in the early stage. But it may not be enough because a significant proportion of them can still relapse. Relapse is a big word for some. What does yeah. relapse mean? So when we say relapse, it means that the cancer coming back, it is usually the old cancer that was not completely gotten rid of at the start. I'm talking about these baby cancer cells that may have seeded into the bloodstream and that may have gone on undetected over years and then surfacing again, you know, some years later. So these treatments that we give, whether it's chemotherapy or targeted therapy, immunotherapy, hormonal therapy or radiotherapy, they really serve to kill off these baby cancer cells that have been left behind. Mm, they have seeped into the bloodstream, you say. Are there different types of cancer? I mean, is breast cancer just one thing or Dr. Doris? So actually, there are very a lot of different different types of breast cancer, really. You know, we can sit here until tomorrow morning, we'll be talking about the many different types of breast cancer. Um, but the first thing is uh, what Dr. Tio mentioned just now is mm -hmm. we have to understand is not all breast lumps are cancer. Okay. okay? Mm -hmm. So, but if unfortunately somebody is diagnosed with breast cancer, mm -hmm. um, there are many ways to classify breast cancer, but to make it simple, we classify it based by its molecular profile, basically by its genetics, you know, like how in Malaysia we have the Chinese, Malay, Indians, um, mm -hmm. you know, and each of us have our own culture. We react to society differently. Exactly. Breast cancers have also different types and they have three main types which behave differently and they react differently to different treatments. So we have the hormone positive ones, which is actually the more common breast cancer. Um, they're slightly slower growing. They're easier to control and they're slightly less aggressive. But don't get me wrong. All cancers are aggressive. It's just that in the group of aggressiveness, it is slightly less aggressive. I see. I'm right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So then after that, we have the um, HER2 positive ones. Okay. okay? So the HER2 positive ones are the ones where we will be talking about um, specialized medication that can target 
Then we have the triple negative ones. And these are the ones that we commonly see in the younger women. They are more associated with genetic or hereditary, a cancer that has been passed down, a gene that has been passed down, you know, um, like what Angelina Jolie has, right? right? So that's a BRCA gene, right? So that is the triple negative. They are the most aggressive form of breast cancer. So essentially, we would say we would divide them by three different profiles, the hormone positive, the HER2 positive, and mm. the triple negative. Triple negative. I see. I think we've learned a few things right now up to here, this, up to this point. We've got three different types of ma- major groups of ca- breast cancers, and then we've got various um, therapies. Let's focus on the, the, the popular scary one that everyone talks about, chemotherapy, right? What, what exactly is chemotherapy? So chemotherapy are a range of medicines that kills the cancer by breaking up the DNA or portions of the DNA of the cancer. I think chemotherapy is infamous for, for side effects to some extent. What are the common side effects? Dr. Doris, do you want to jump in there? I would say clear your mind from everything you watch in the movies, the Chinese dramas, the Korean dramas, the Cantonese dramas, okay? So our patients, yeah, and WhatsApp and Facebook, okay? I mean, uh, except what you're watching, you know, the Asian this woman. That's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah except the Asian woman. <laughs> I, I think the first impression is you need to clear the image of a lady holding onto the toilet bowl and vomiting her guts out um, mm. because our patients do not vomit that much anymore. It's very rare for a patient to be vomiting from the chemo therapy. So normally I would tell my patients the side effects actually depending on the type of chemotherapy, right? So some chemotherapy, you won't even lose your hair. Some chemotherapy, you won't even feel anything. But in general, patients will experience some tiredness, some uh, lethargy, you know, just no loss of energy, poor appetite, some bloating, you know, some taste changes, some numbness in your hands. Of course, hair loss is something that, you know, it's a very big thing. But even for that now, there's a technique called scalp cooling therapy where we can apply for a patient right before her chemotherapy and with certain types of chemotherapy we can actually reduce their hair loss or improve the rate of the hair growing back so you'll be surprised still a lot of women um, they they refuse chemo um, young women just because of hair loss you know so um, whatever that is these side effects they're all now very tolerable but I think one issue to address in terms of uh, side effects for young women or women of um, you know uh, reproduction age is it can cause um, early menopause um, it can cause fertility issues and that's why we really need to sit down and discuss with them you know how can we address such issues a lot of women still go on and have children after chemotherapy but it is something that we really need to address during the treatment okay well just before we go there you mentioned um, there is a, a treatment that can protect the hair loss can you expand a little bit on that because I think that is something that is a mental block for many women in chemotherapy as well Basically, it, what it does is it's a cap you wear. It's like an alien-looking cap you put on your head. Um, and basically, we just run in cold water, cool the scalp down. And so if you cool the scalp down, right, less medication will go to your scalp with less hair follicles being affected, right? And that will be able to reduce the hair loss. But you have to understand that does not work for all chemotherapy, Okay, only very certain because so that you have to discuss with the, the doctors who you have uh, so with. <laughs> yeah, but um, it is something that we can do now, you know. So there is no hope to say that, look, if this is your stumbling block, there is something we can do about it, mm. you know. Of if this is that one particular reason that is stopping you from getting a treatment that can cure you, there are things now we can do about it, yeah, right. 
And um, Dr. Kylie, Dr. Doris touched just now on young women with reproductive at a reproductive stage. And is there some way that you know you would manage that in your practice with younger women? So the issue of losing their ability to bear children in the future is a big thing for many young women. In terms of what can we do to reduce that risk of losing that fertility, sometimes we can give medications to put the ovaries to sleep so that they are less susceptible to chemotherapy side effects. Right. Although the usual first step in an academic center is to refer to a gynecologist where he or she can discuss any fertility treatments or getting the eggs out to preserve in the long term. I see. But often that is a challenge uh, because it does take some time to actually do it. And especially if we have women with uh, bad cancers like triple mm-hmm. negative or HER2 positive cancers, we need to kind of start treatment early. So that's kind of tricky. So right. sometimes I would give them the medications instead, which would be a little bit easier. The medications to put the ovaries to sleep, yeah. as you say. So right. that they are less susceptible to chemotherapy damage. What I'm hearing from both Dr. Doris and Dr. Kylie is that many of the side effects can be managed and it is tolerable um, with that goal of being cured. So that's a lot said about chemotherapy and side effects. I think we should go back to surgery. Dr. Teo, tell us a little bit more in terms of surgery. You mentioned before taking out the lump or actually removing the breast. Can you tell us a bit more about what you do? After we have done all the staging and uh, once we have confirmed the, the cancer and the type of cancer and the stage of the disease, then we will have a, a discussion with the patient uh, and give her the options available, whether she should go for chemotherapy first or surgery. All right. So in terms of surgery also, we have quite a wide range of uh, surgical options these days, mm. okay, compared to many years ago, there's only one method and that's to remove your whole breast and in terms of surgical options we have to look at the size of the tumor in comparison to the size of the breast and then what type of tumor is it and then what is the size of the tumor whether are the lymph nodes involved and we can give the options of either if it's a early stage we can offer the patient a lumpectomy which is like a breast conserving surgery or a total mastectomy or even nowadays, we are we are starting to offer the patients uh, nipple sparing mastectomy with reconstruction, What's as well that? as I need as to well as you there because it's a big <laughs> big concept, you know. Yeah, so so basically, two groups: uh, lumpectomy or breast conserving surgery and an oncoplastic surgery. That means we will help to remodel the breast after removing the lump. Or the other one is a mastectomy and re- breast reconstruction. That means we will rebuild and give you a new breast shape back using other parts of your body tissue like your stomach, your extra tires at the bottom, or we, we take the tissue from the back of your muscle, right. from the back, yeah, and then we will just flip it in front, yeah. So these are, these are breast reconstruction uh, techniques that we can offer the patient. So if you have to lose your breast, we can reshape and give you a new breast back. I, I find this phrase very common, just remove yeah. the breast, your life is more important. Yeah. Uh, And I find that is very, for for them, for these women, it is number one, insensitive, but number two, it makes the women feel guilty for valuing beauty over their health. And I don't think why they shouldn't have both. I I think for a woman, you don't have your breasts, it's actually a very significant portion of what makes you a woman, actually. Because even for the patient, when I guide them, they ask, usually they will ask me to choose. Yeah, you, you decide what is best for me, doctor. Breast conserving surgery, lumpectomy or total mastectomy. I say, no, this is the life you lead. You have to see yourself in the mirror and see whether you can accept mastectomy. If you cannot, don't listen to everyone else 
around you because everyone, I have a lady who refused mastectomy, but the husband, daughter, children, everybody said, do it, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we want you to get cured. So removing the breast is okay, but she cannot accept it. So it took quite a while and I have to explain to the family as well. If she cannot accept it, she's going to go into depression and, you know, at the end, it's just as bad for her. You know, when comparing between breast conserving surgery and radiotherapy with uh, total mastectomy, they have actually found evidence that the survival rate for lumpectomy or breast conserving surgery is actually higher. So, you you know, yeah. now we are all going towards breast conserving surgery and lumpectomy. But unfortunately, for Asian, majority majority of them are small breasts. By the time they come, it's a significantly large tumor. So, there's not much of uh, a choice sometimes. It's either a total mastectomy mm. or reconstruction. But if you have like a, a bigger breast like a cup C or cup D then you know this is it's perfect it's good so can, you can still do a lumpectomy without removing the entire breast yeah yeah we can we can I mean the reconstruction are beautiful very well done I mean I've seen our local you know reconstructive mm-hmm, surgeons mm-hmm, do excellent mm-hmm. jobs you know they mm-hmm. feel the same look the same you know and like the tummy tuck ones you get two for the price of one really yeah, so, you know, I have a patient and she did a bilateral mastectomy and she was telling me that was one of the best things that ever happened to her because, you know, she felt like a new woman again. <laughs> Would you that know? happen in one surgery or two surgery, over two surgeries? Nowadays, you know, with uh, these new adjuvant treatment therapies that even in patients who are late stage disease and or, you know, they have a big tumour, we can actually downstage the tumour with chemotherapy first and then, depending on how they respond after the treatment, we can offer the patient an immediate reconstruction. So they get two in one. And, you know, they don't have to go through the effect of, you know, losing the breast, weight, chemotherapy, and then after that, come back from delayed reconstruction. That will actually help them to lose the morale easily. I see, I see. Yeah. And, and when, we, when we patients actually have to go through one of these surgeries, I suppose it depends on which surgery in terms of their downtime or the time, amount of time they have to take from work or, or have to be resting at home, right? Well, if it's just a simple lumpectomy or a mastectomy, then usually the downtime will be about two to three weeks. Mm-hmm. And often after one week or so, they will recover quite well. In terms of if you're going to do add-on a breast reconstruction, then that depending on what we're doing, whether it's a latissimus dorsi, the back muscle flap or the uh, tummy tuck, then mm-hmm. that will take about four to six weeks. I see. With these surgeries, just to give our audience a, a, a rough idea, how much do they normally cost? I mean, a lumpectomy and a mastectomy? And, and the right. reconstruction. Um, yeah, so if it's a, just a lumpectomy with uh, or a mastectomy with the lymph node dissection and you know, or a standard three to five days stay in a hospital, it can range between sixteen to twenty thousand. This is a private hospital cost, all right. So right. Th- there are different ranges. Sometimes in Penang, KL and Johor also could be different, mm. but it's roughly around there. And then if you're gonna add on a breast reconstruction, then we are looking at a difference of between ten to thirty thousand, depending on what you're doing. I see, I see. And you yeah. mentioned just now you know, about doing chemotherapy and surgery first. It sounds a bit confusing for me. Um, do, does a patient actually do surgery first or chemotherapy first? Which one? Ah. <laughs> That's question. another one I will let <laughs> No, okay. Just as Dr. Kylie was mentioning earlier about personalized treatment, right? After we have done the biopsy and, and we have done the staging, that means the patient will have to go through either a CT scan or PET scan to stage the disease to see whether has it spread to the stage 3, stage 4. Generally, if it's a stage 1, stage 2, if it's a hormone-positive breast cancer treatment, which is the slow-progressing type of tumor, then we can offer the patient a, bre- a surgery first. If the, if the patient is young, it's a stage 3, stage 4 disease 
And if it's a triple negative breast cancer or sometimes a HER2 positive breast cancer that's stage 2, then more often than not, to, in order to give the patient a better survival advantage, I will definitely offer the patient a new adjuvant chemotherapy first. So I'll send them to one of our friendly uh, oncologists around and they will do their <laughs> chemotherapy. And then after that, you know, they will come back to me and then we will discuss the surgical options. So by that time, they will have more choices available especially when it's young patient who is triple negative breast cancer. They can be a one centimeter tumor. But even that, I will not even do surgery because to give her the best survival advantage, I will send her for a chemotherapy. And then during that time, because she's young, she's triple negative, we will more often than not uh, arrange a BRCA gene testing, genetic testing for her. And if she turns out to be a gene positive, mm-hmm. then we have to advise her whether would she want to do a bilateral mastectomy or not. So at that same time, in that one-time surgery, we can, you know, gauti everything for her mm-hmm. if she chooses that. But again, there are other options. If the patient doesn't want to do a bilateral mastectomy, then it's fine. Then there are other sort of screening methods that we can provide. So it sounds like patients today have a lot more options than patients Definitely, ago. definitely. Those days, right, the patient comes with a lump, the surgeon will see, Cut it off. Oh, it's a cancer. The next surgery is a mastectomy. After that, bunkus you off to you know see the oncologist. Mm. You you mentioned um if it's like one centimeter for a young patient, you might see their oncologist send them off to see the oncologist first. Doctor Kylie, why would that be a, a a good thing to do? I mean, from a medical perspective, I mean it's basically to improve the chances of saving the breast. I mean, that, that's the traditional Downstage reason. Downstage the tumour, yeah. Yep. Yep, to shrink the cancer so it's easier to take out. But now the newer reason is because we use the response to treatment in the breast and the limb nodes to guide further treatment. So let's say in a woman who has had her treatment, chemotherapy or targeted therapy, if there is remnant cancer still detectable in the breast cancer specimen that has been taken out, we know that that woman is not going to do well. And that woman needs a change of treatment that can further improve her chances of beating the cancer. Usually, I get this question from my patient and I just simply just tell them is to improve their survival rate. Even they do surgery and then after that, I tell them you definitely have to do chemotherapy as well. Right, but the difference is, in if you do chemotherapy first, we are killing all the little anak anak. That does uh, clarify that for us. Now we talk about sequencing surgery and chemotherapy. How about um, radiation, Doctor Doris? Where does radiation come in? So radiation usually happens last, towards the end. So where you have the surgery first or the mm-hmm. chemotherapy first, uh, mm-hmm. so vice versa. Mm-hmm. And after all the treatment is finished, then mm-hmm. you will have radiation. Chemotherapy will help reduce the chance of the cancer coming back elsewhere, right? You don't want the cancer to come back in the brain, in the lungs, in the bones and things like that, right? right. So chemotherapy will help reduce the risk of all those things happening. But radiation will reduce the chance of the cancer coming back in the same area of the surgery, so you don't want the cancer coming back to the breast. So like Dr. Teo mentioned also, in the past, if you have breast cancer more than 30 years ago, everybody has a mastectomy. The whole breast has to be removed. Because if you leave breast tissue inside, 
cancer can grow back in the same area. But radiation, when we give it to the breast, we can reduce the chance of cancer coming back. So now women can have their breast, right? So you can still have breast cancer, but still have both your breasts, right? So the radiation is given to reduce the chance of the cancer coming back to the area that we shine the radiation on, which is the breast. It doesn't prevent anything else. And that's why we still need the chemotherapy. But the next thing is actually the types, the different types of radiation that is offered, right? So the standard radiation for a lady, right? In the olden days, long time ago, you will hear people having six weeks of treatment. Now we know that three weeks is just as good as six weeks. Younger women or women with still leftover cancers inside may need to have an extra five to eight treatments. So maybe about four, four and a half weeks, but that's usually it. In this COVID era, we have also kind of taken into account um, results from some studies. Studies to say that can we cut down three weeks to five days of treatment? And so now a lot of places, right, in the UK and Singapore, a lot of places are using this five treatments, five day treatments. So that is also an alternative. So when you're looking around, you can see whether does that fit your needs or not. Are you somebody who say, look, I'm, I'm going to have five days. But of course, different treatments will have slightly different side effects. So that is something you want to look out for also. And what other types of machine can be given? We use different types of machines to give radiation to treat the cancer. So some machines are more advanced. It can help you avoid treating the heart. Some machines can help you, you know, improve the outcome, the, the, the cosmetic outlook of the breast. So mm. that can also be part of the, the factor that, you know, justifies uh, choosing one center over another. And I think the third thing is actually convenience because radiation is not like chemotherapy. You come one day and then you rest three weeks. It's a daily treatment. Right. So you it's come five every days day. straight. Five days straight is uh, the newer technique, which is mm -hmm. still not very widely practiced. The standard yep. is still 15, which is three weeks. At least you have to come every day. So if the mm -hmm. patient is staying in Taiping, Perlis, you know, Sumai Patani, um, you have to come all the way to Penang for treatment. So that's also going to be logistic. It's going to be something that you have to look up for also. I see. Can I add on, since you're talking on the uh, talk about radiotherapy, right? So another option is, is intraoperative radiotherapy. This is actually something that is the latest technology mm -hmm. and it's been around for the last 10 years. And this is actually doing surgery and radiotherapy at the same time and you only do it one time. Again, it is not for all patients. It's only for selected cases and selected types of tumour. So, um, not again, not all centers has this uh, radiotherapy technique available for certain selected patients that if their patient is doing a breast conserving surgery or a lumpectomy, mm -hmm. if the tumor size is less than um, three centimeters, if the patient is elderly and it is the hormone positive type of breast cancer mm -hmm. and likely to be um, not negative stage one kind of disease, then during the surgery, we will do the uh, lumpectomy where we remove the lump. And then at the same time after that, we will insert the radiotherapy device and then we will give the radiotherapy uh, treatment for 30 minutes. And after that, we will remove the radiotherapy device and then we will close the wound up in the normal manner. Wow, right? so all and then, this in one hit. Yeah, all this in one hit. And then all breast conserving surgery or lumpectomy must go for radiotherapy because this will help to reduce the local recurrence rate. So it's a must. Mm. So that's why in order to reduce this three weeks duration or even the five days duration of radiotherapy, the external beam radiotherapy, the patient just have to do everything in 
that one time in surgery. But again, it's not for all patients. Only so far, 5% of the uh, breast cancer type can be offered mm. for this. But it is, it is, I mean, this is how technology is progressing, you know, moving forward. Mm, I see. So that's, yeah. Right. Um, so we talked a lot about all the treatments that can, can help in treating curable breast cancers. Um, are there any breast cancers that are not curable? When we, when we look at cancer, like we mentioned just now, there are a lot of different types of cancers, but we can also classify cancers into early stage mm-hmm. or late stage. Mm-hmm. So a late stage is when the cancer has actually gone beyond the breast. Um, so it has spread to other parts of your body. Some people have a lot of problems understanding this analogy in terms of what do you mean by it's still breast cancer? Why cannot be cured? So um, in this COVID situation, I explained it very simply to patients that um, if the virus was contained to a certain country or a certain city and has mm-hmm. not spread, then we will not have a pandemic. Basically, that we can get rid of the virus and we won't have these problems. But if we allow the virus to spread beyond the borders to other parts of the country, other parts of the world, meaning to your brain, to your lungs, to the liver, then it becomes a pandemic. means that we will have to forever live with the virus in our community. Meaning that once the cancer has spread to other parts of your body, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. we have to live with the virus the cancer in our body but it doesn't mean that you cannot live you can still live you coexist Um, so that is not being curable does not mean not treatable okay so we can still treat the cancer but we keep it under control so that the patient and the cancer will coexist and hopefully obviously the cancer does not cause problems to the patient so that's what it means to have um, not curable breast cancers so not curable cancers but treatable in that case i imagine the treatable options would not be surgical would they or and they'll be mainly oncology or, or radiation is that right actually on the contrary it's a multi-modality meaning like uh, what dr kylie mentioned personalized treatment so basically it can be at any point of your treatment it can uh, uh, be radiation it can be chemotherapy it can be oral medication it can be immunotherapy but it can also involve surgery For example, if somebody develops a lump or a new lump appears on the skin and that lump is bleeding, it's causing a lot of pain, we can either give some radiation to that lump or you can refer the patient to their friendly uh, uh, breast surgeon to remove that lump out. And that will also affect the patient's quality of life because now it doesn't have a bleeding lump. So visually, it looks back to normal again. So it doesn't have to be just chemotherapy. It's different modalities given at different timing to improve the patient's um, quality of life. Right. So we will be running a, a separate episode just on non-curable but treatable breast cancers um, at the end of October. We won't, we won't go very deep into that topic today. But let's talk about the non-physical challenges of breast cancer. I mean, we talked a lot about all the uh, treatments that are needed. Dr. Kylie, in your personal experience, do you observe patients having some of these non-physical challenges? Do, uh, do they struggle emotionally? It is a difficult journey, as you mentioned. It is never easy to come to terms uh, with any cancer diagnosis, you know, and mental health issues, you know, like uh, fear, uh, being sad all the time, I mean, it, it's actually quite common. And I find that those of my patients who have support from their 
loved ones and their friends actually do a lot better. And so that support is very, very important during this time. So cancer is not something that you should just brave it out and just tackle on your own. It's okay to ask for help and you should get your family involved, your friends involved to support you through this journey. Right. Let me put this question out to, to Dr. Kylie and Dr. Doris. Um, wh- what would you say to someone who's shopping for a, an oncologist, a breast oncologist? What are some of the things they should look out for? I mean, this is my personal view of things. I think first and foremost, your doctor should be up to date with the latest treatments okay, for breast cancer because breast cancer changes many times through the year. Okay, There are many breakthroughs through the year right. and not just breast cancer, but other cancers as well. So when you have these breakthroughs that may actually change the way we treat the breast cancer, right? you don't want to miss out. So you want to have the latest treatments um, given to you to give you the best chance of beating the cancer you see mm. the second thing i think it's important that you get along with your doctor coming with your doctor lah, okay so <laughs> if you cannot get along it doesn't work because it's going to be a long-term relationship right, and right. thirdly you want to find someone who can communicate well okay because you know anyone with cancer we have so many questions to ask we need to be patient and to answer those questions because it impacts on their lives and they've got a lot of fear as well. Right. It, it is a difficult time for anyone going through that. Dr. Doris, do you have anything to add to what, uh, what Dr. Kylie has just said? No, I mean, I agree with everything um, Dr. Kylie says. I normally tell my patient, first thing first is uh, in Hokkien, it means whether um, you have fit with your doctor or not. Okay, so you, bahasa, ada jodoh tak, uh, ada jodoh, correct, yeah. So you can see the most you know, famous doctor, but somehow the, there's no click, mm. you know. Um, and I think that is the relationship that Dr. Kylie has mentioned because without that relationship, number one, there's no trust. Mm. Without trust, then we're no longer walking down the same path. Cancer treatment is a journey. You know, we need to start from day one and plan the journey ahead. So without that, we won't be walking on the same journey. And then as that goes on, then obviously somebody who's really up to date and not giving you something because it is there. We do not give somebody treatment because there is expensive treatment out there. We but we give somebody some treatment because that is the treatment that will help them. Oh, right? I like so, what you just said. Yeah, very right? much not, so. You don't need the most expensive treatment to get better, right? Some people just need very simple treatment. So I think that is also very important. Mm. Can I jump in? Uh? Yes. I mean, the key thing that, that Dr. Doris has also mentioned is, you know, not everyone needs the best expensive treatment and so forth. I mean, the key thing here is we are now able to personalize the treatment to the patient in front of us. What do you mean by that? So when we say personalize the treatment, that, that means there is no one size fit all, right? Every woman's breast cancer can be different. It's a different type, different stage and all that. Mm-hmm. So for example, a patient uh, with, let's say a hormone-driven breast cancer, that's stage one or stage two, we may actually do certain tests that can tell us a little bit more about the behavior of the cancer. And those tests may actually save the patient from unnecessary chemotherapy and the follow-on side effects. Sometimes doing less is actually more. Mm -hmm. 
Right. Um, Dr. Doris, I understand your radiation oncologist. That means you do radiation and also do chemotherapy, right? People always say, you know, chemotherapy, if you see a doctor, they're just making money out of you. I heard that the treatments are very expensive. Is it true? Uh, yes. So the treatment is expensive, but chemotherapy has actually become less expensive now because there are a lot of generic medications in the market. The whole cost of treatment can be within, you know, maybe 15000 to twenty to 30000 for simple treatments right Um, but there are also medications that cost up to 15,000 20,000 30,000 even up to 50,000 per cycle meaning per injection that Dr. Kylie or me gives you may cost up to 20 to 30,000 and those are usually the targeted therapy okay which is the very high end you know it's like the phone the old Nokia phone costs 200 ringgit you know it still does the same job but Mm -hmm. then you have the latest phone that costs you know many many times more but it is more enhanced it can do more special specialized things. And I think the main reason why is because the cost that went into developing the medication. If we're talking about all these targeted therapies, they're so expensive. We're talking about average. It takes about six to 15 years to come Mm. up with one drug. Mm, That's a long time. Takes about 600 million average to about one to two billion dollars to develop one drug. The numbers are mind-boggling. Correct. And in the next 10 years after the drug goes into market, there's no more patent, which means that somebody else can take the recipe for your drug and make a generic version and sell it much, much cheaper. So I Mm. think it is actually the cost that went into the developing, the research and things like that of the drug that makes it more and more expensive. I see. uh, Which which is quite unfortunate though. And and you mentioned that there's this misconception about doctors out there, right? Moving on from that, we want to touch on that million dollar question that um, you know, everybody wants to know. Can we prevent breast cancer? Can we lower the risk of breast cancer? What are the risks of people developing cancer increasing age as you get older? the risk of cancers get higher. Being women, just by being a lady, unfortunately, increases our risk of getting breast cancer many, many fold. Um, Genetics, right? If you have a family history of breast cancer, somebody, your mom or your sister or your first degree relative has a history of breast cancer, or if you unfortunately carry a, a, a gene a mutation that increases your risk of cancer, um, that cannot change. But we don't have to get all depressed about it because there are things that we can change. And I think number one is exercise. You don't have to run marathons, right? Just but regular daily exercises um, is actually protective for breast cancer Um, and and a proper diet because obesity has also been linked to Mm -hmm. um, breast cancer. So regular exercise and a balanced diet so I tell my patients to exercise all the time. Unfortunately, exercise, you can't put in a pill. Okay, you have to do it yourself. And like what Dr. Doris mentioned, you don't have to run marathons and all that. You just need to be physically active, be ups and about at home, do housework, vacuum the floor, hang your clothes and all that. But if you can, also try to do physical activity that is planned. For example, you go out for a jog, you go out for a brisk walk. Mm. And there are different levels of exercise. 
There is light, intermediate, and high-intensity exercise. A simple way to know the difference is whether you can talk or sing during the exercise. For low-intensity exercise, generally you can talk and you can sing. So it's like walking in a shopping mall, that's low-intensity exercise. Intermediate exercise is when you can talk but you can't <laughs> sing. So things like brisk walking would be intermediate kind of exercise. Mm -hmm. High intensity exercise is when you cannot talk and you cannot sing. So it's like doing Zumba, running and all that. In general, it is recommended to have about 150 minutes of intermediate exercise per week. Right. That's about 30 minutes five times a week. And you can split that 30 minutes through the day, 10, 10 and 10. So it is actually quite doable. I see. But patients often tell me, can I take this supplement, take that supplement? I say, no need, no need to waste money, just exercise, free of charge. Right. So after this episode, we see all the peening nights coming out and exercising on the streets. <laughs> I want the pill. <laughs> I want the exercise pill. Um, we're going to hop into some questions that were submitted to us in the uh, TW community group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the Asian woman. Question one is by Riva and I quote, if your period is not going properly every month, there's high chance to get breast cancer. Is this true? Dr. Teo, would you be able to help us with this? No, that's not true. So a lot of time, uh, I have patients who come because they have irregular menses and you know they have breast pain and you know they have uh, nipple changes or nipple discharge. So in, in terms of irregular periods, it, it doesn't cause breast cancer. Even breast pain itself doesn't cause breast cancer. All right? But if they have any unusual changes or anything that is unusual that is recent, then of course they should come for a screening and, and a checkup. But irregular menses itself does not cause breast cancer. Right? What are some of the other symptoms then of breast cancer? Usually the most common will be swollen breast, breast pain. This is what often a lot of patients will come with. Another one will be a lump. Okay, they, they notice an unusual lump, all right? right? Now, breast cancer, usually the lump is painless. It's usually a painless lump. So I will have some patients who come with a lump that is as big as a fist and they say, oh, it's okay. I have no pain and I'm still able to walk around and do my own work and, you know, eat and I'm not losing weight. So I don't think it was a cancer. But unfortunately, it was already a stage 3 cancer. So we just have to be more aware. So other um, signs and symptoms other than the lump will be a nipple discharge. If it's a bloody nipple discharge or a clear nipple discharge or unusual, any unusual discharge that has never happened before. But again, Normal nipple discharge can be a normal presentation as well. We need to just get it examined, investigated. All right. Yeah. Other thing will be like uh, thickening of the skin, or sometimes your skin there is some um, swollen skin, or the skin will look like very thickened, like an um, orange peel. Yeah. Right. So some of these changes, or if you look at yourself in the mirror, you can mm -hmm. see there is unusual shape, like you know your nipple is not on the equal distance on in the normal level. So these are some of the signs and symptoms of that you should get yourself investigated. That means we need and to get to know our breasts then. We need to look at yes. ourselves. Can, and I, can I add in here? There's yeah, actually yeah, sure. a, a very good visual guide. Um, there's this thing called Know Your Lemons. So basically, they just show you a, a strip of different types of lemons. You know, the yellow lemons. But they are visual images on how an abnormal breast would look like. I think if any one of you can go and Google, um, just hashtag Know Your Lemons, um, mm -hmm. you will see a very good visual representation of what to look at. Um, I think that, that really helps because it really does look like some of the patients we see. Yeah. So just 
just to add on on that, all right, we would want to wait until that stage for the patient to come because often, more often than not, when they come with skin changes, it's already a stage three, if not stage four, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why one of the most important thing is breast self-examination, being aware of your own breast, getting a yearly breast screening and know all these little subtle changes before the skin changes happen. But of course, when that skin changes is obvious, it's not something that you sit on it. It's like you should get it Coming checked up immediately. Away. Yes, that's Wait, right. when you say yearly breast screening, from what age? From the age of 20, from the age of 50? Where, do, where right, does a woman uh, start? According to the Malaysian Clinical Practice Guidelines, they mm -hmm. recommend that women between for screening, that means you, if you're asymptomatic, you don't have any symptoms, then you mm -hmm. should start screening between 50 to 74 years biannual uh, with a mammogram. But I would strongly recommend that all patients should get a screen at least once um, 20 or 30 years of age above. And I mean, do your breast self-examination. If you find any unusual, then you can come for a screening if it's necessary, like a breast ultrasound. And if you're more than 40 or 50 years old, then you get a screening mammogram. Okay. But I think we have to add in also that actually there are a special groups of women which will need screening a bit earlier and more specialized kind of screening techniques because we, we know that a lot of children because of the advances in technology now they survive things like leukemia and lymphoma when they are young all right so if you are a child a lady a, a young who has had lymphoma or leukemia when you're a child there is a chance that you may have had radiation towards the breast area so these are the women normally i would advise the moment you hit 20 to 25 you start breast screening so number one risk factor okay if you've had any form of radiation to your chest as a child when you grow older you do not wait till you're 40 at about 20 to 25 you start seeing somebody for breast screening number two we cannot screen everybody for this um, family history of mutation right we cannot do BRCA screening for everybody but if you have a strong family history if somebody in your first degree your sister your sibling your cousins your aunties and aunts have quite a number of them has a history of breast cancer I think this is the group who should also be more vigilant and come in their late 20s mid to late 20s to start screening yeah, mm -hmm. and when you say screening, um, um, just coming back to you, uh, Miss Steele, when you say screening, you, you mentioned mammogram for fifties onwards. But what about the younger ladies? Are they do they go for a mammogram as well? No, the mammograms are mainly for uh, 40, 40 and fifty years and above. For the younger uh, women, then we will definitely recommend breast ultrasound. And uh, the other thing that I want to add on is like. Um, with Asian women, we tend to have denser breasts. That means our dense is firmer and, and harder compared to the Caucasians who have more fatty breasts. So denser breasts is like uh, there are more glandular tissue. So when you do a mammogram, even in some elderly lady, they can actually see a very dense breast on the mammogram and it's not accurate because I have patients who um, they feel a lump in their breasts, but when they go for their regular mammogram, and uh, it was uh, diagnosed to be um, negative. There was no abnormalities there. But she still felt the lump. And then the following year, she, she was not happy and she went back to, to, to repeat the mammogram and it was still negative. Until the third year, another mammogram was done for her and it was still negative. And that's when she seek um, advice from, um, she, she came to us. And then I just have to put an ultrasound there and I can see a big tumour sitting there. But because oh she generally have a very dense breast, the mammogram cannot pick it up. All right. So across the board, even though um, our clinical practice guideline advise that, you know, above 50, do mammogram, below that, do ultrasound. I would advise all patients to get ultrasound and mammogram if they are 40 and 50 above. And if they are younger, just get an ultrasound because our Asians tend to have very dense breasts and they can 
uh, missed deletion on mammogram. Mm. Relating to detection, there is a question asked in the TW community um, about the preemptive mastectomy done by Angelina Jolie. Um, Elaine asks, any comment on such radical preventive measures? What is your view on that? From a medical perspective, you can see why she did it as well as an emotional perspective. See, she lost her mom, she lost her grandmother to cancer and she was tested positive uh, for BRCA1 and it was quoted as her risk of getting breast cancer in her lifetime was over 80%. So it almost feels like you're walking with time bombs in front of you. <laughs> okay. Of course, when you do risk-reducing surgery, you pretty much bring the risk of breast cancer down to close to zero, not, not zero, but close to zero, no? from 80 plus percent to close to zero. No? Right, so for what Angelina Jolie did is her choice. She has made a decision for herself. I think it is not fair for us to judge whether it's right or wrong. Yeah, own, own your life, right? With that, I'll just come back to another question that's been submitted to us in the TAW community group. It's from Priscilla. And I quote, I read studies that suggest dairy intake increases risk of breast cancer. Is this true? On the other hand, milk is recommended to reduce risk of osteoporosis. How do you balance this? So there are going to be ongoing studies that look at how different diets or things that you consume, whether it actually increases your risk of breast cancer or not. Many people say soy causes cancer. Uh, soy can actually stimulate the hormone receptor and stimulate the breast cancer to grow. But then there are large studies that say that soy is protective against breast cancer. Mm. So what do we make of that? Yeah, so confusing. It, does, it doesn't mean that you cannot have your tau hua or your tau jui, you know. In the end of the day, you just have everything in moderation. moderation exactly. I, I totally agree with that. Yeah, because you know, I, you know, I have patients who are like, how can I get cancer? I'm a vegetarian, a pure vegetarian. <laughs> Another one tells me, um, you know, I only take organic food. Organic. Yeah. You know, and, and I say, no, you know, sometimes cancer doesn't discriminate who. Even I can get it as well, even mm. though I'm a doctor. So we, we just have to lead a balanced diet. And I think one of the main thing is stress. And a lot of time, Stress is the main killer for all diseases and all mankind. So we get, we get stressed over what we eat, how we eat, what not to eat. And I think I agree with uh, Dr. Kylie, we, we, we have a balanced diet. If you want to go on vegetarian, then fine be it, but don't overdo it. I mean, you know, and organic or no organic. Yeah. Don't stress, exercise. Don't stress, yes, exercise. <laughs> so there we have it, the last words from uh, doctors today. Don't stress, exercise, early detection saves lives. So if something is bothering you, get it checked. And uh, the breast surgeon is who you go to. And then from there, you know, your case will be managed accordingly. With the insights from today on breast cancer, share this video with your friends so that they too can be informed. Together with Pfizer, let's hashtag own your life. Take charge of your breasts.